Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. I know most of you intend to support the new Chromium version of Edge that just released. As I shared on my podcast last week, I posted a Twitter poll that confirmed that. Well, did you know that my sponsor, Policy Pack, has a really cool browser router feature that can allow you to redirect sessions between browsers? So, for example, if you want Edge as your default, but have a site here or there that just needs IE11, you can redirect to IE11 when a user tries to browse to that site. Policy Pack can also help you put that new Edge icon in your user's Win10 taskbar and help you to set default programs for file extensions as needed. I was also banging my head this week working on a Windows 10 virtual desktop, needing to set file type associations for default programs and modify the start menu and the taskbar with those hokey configuration files, which just seemed stupid when compared to how I could do with Policy Pack. So do yourself a favor and check out Policy Pack to help make your life easier. The podcast is also brought to you by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also by Liquidware, the creators of FlexApp, the most feature-rich application layering product on the market. And now for some news. The lead story I believe this week is that Microsoft had a major security lapse. 250 million customers' information was left exposed to the public without any password protection and in plain text. The data that was exposed contained email aliases and contract numbers, plus more information that could be used by, say, support scammers to try and fish unsuspecting victims. Microsoft have claimed the exposure was limited. It occurred over 25 days during the holidays. And according to ThreatPost.com, the Microsoft security team have stated, quote, Our investigation has determined that a change made to the database's network security group on December 5, 2019, contained misconfigured security rules that enabled exposure of the data. The customer data contains customer information dating back as far as 2005. Customers who may have been affected by this will be contacted by Microsoft. At the end of last week, ZDNet reported on a zero-day vulnerability in IE. In fact, the vulnerability was actually mentioned on last week's episode of the podcast, but in relation to Mozilla Firefox. Well, as it turns out, Internet Explorer 11 is also vulnerable to the same vulnerability that was exposed by Quiho 360 researchers. The CVE for this is CVE-2020-0674. Earlier in the week, ThreatPost.com reported that there were active exploitations of the vulnerability that had been detected in the wild. Then at the middle of the week, ZeroPatch released a micro-patch for the vulnerability via their ZeroPatch platform. With the vulnerability, if a user is logged on with admin permissions on a compromised device, attackers can take full control of the system, allowing for program installation and data manipulation, or the possibility to create accounts with full user rights. So, a zero day. <laughs> no surprise there, really. BleepingComputer.com reports that the micro patch disables the JScript 
DLL for Windows 7, Windows 10 version 1709, 1803, and 1809, Windows Server 2008R2, and Windows Server 2019. This micro patch, in effect, is doing what Microsoft has recommended as a workaround fix, but there are some negative consequences. For example, Windows Media Player is reported to break when trying to play MP4 files. The SFC tool may stop working, that's a pretty big one. Printing to the Microsoft Print to PDF breaks. And proxy automatic configuration scripts may not work, or PAC scripts. So that's a lot of very negative consequences. The SFC tool and proxy packs not working are two major problems. The Windows Media Player and Microsoft Print to PDF might not be as big of issues if you've got alternative products for doing those functions. But wow, I think you should probably think twice about applying the micro patch. Hopefully Microsoft releases a full fix soon. It has been reported that Chrome users who use Office 365 are getting a Bing extension forcibly installed which sets Bing as their default search engine. Edius Perkins on Twitter shared that you can disable it via a registry which I'll share with this episode. Or if you watch the episode on YouTube, you can actually see this in the video version too. If listening on the audio only, you can find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links beside episode 108. Obviously, this really isn't cool. It's even worse than when Yahoo was getting set by Java installs. Microsoft's credibility and trustworthiness definitely takes a hit from this. MSPowerUser.com reports that the final Windows 7 updates removed some users' wallpapers and has replaced it with a black image. The issue kicked in after Microsoft rolled out KB4534310 and 4534314 for Windows 7 users. Surprisingly, the issue is also affecting users who have wallpapers that are set by group policy. Users have reported that uninstalling the patch does bring back the wallpaper. Now the big question, will Microsoft provide a fix for an operating system that is now considered end of life? I think they probably should since their final patch is what broke things, but maybe not. In a quick hit story here, Mozilla have shared that Firefox releases are changing to a four week cycle. So that's a pretty quick turnaround and it's pretty similar to what some of their competitors in the browser space are doing too. And another quick hit, something I forgot to mention last week when covering MSIX is the fact that the latest release of the packaging tool now supports Server 2019. According to CNBC.com, account representatives from Epic Systems, which is one of the largest providers of medical record systems, have started calling customers with a message stating they will not be pursuing further integrations with Google Cloud. CNBC claimed the company decided to halt development with Google Cloud because it wasn't seeing sufficient interest among its health system customers to warrant the investment. They will instead just focus on AWS and Azure going forward. I previously reported a story that indicated Google could exit the cloud marketplace in two years if they are not the number one in the market. That may have just been some BS bravado, 
But if it was sincere, losing one of the largest EHR vendors in the world could give more food for thought. Personally, I hope GCP, Google Cloud Platform, is here to stay for customers' sakes. Competition breeds innovation and better pricing for us all. ZDNet have reported that a hacker has leaked Telnet credentials for 500,000 servers, routers, and IoT devices. The hacker obtained the credentials by scanning online for devices with the Telnet port open. The hacker then tried using factory set default names and passwords, or custom but easy to guess password combinations. The list was published online by the maintainer of a denial of service for hire service. All the lists the hacker leaked are dated October through November 2019. By now, some of the devices may be running on a different IP address or use different login credentials, hopefully. I mentioned Shodan last week on the show. You can use Shodan to query devices online by a specific port number and return such a list if you're interested. This week, some LastPass users were left frustrated when the product stopped working for them. It turned out some users whose accounts were created in 2014 or earlier were affected when what LastPass support called a bug got introduced in a recent release. They promptly fixed the bug and everything should be hunky-dory again. Citrix were back on the rebound this week after a pretty brutal few weeks trying to claw back from the major Citrix ADC vulnerability. As of now, it seems all firmware updates for the versions affected have now been released at the time of this recording. So be sure to patch even if you put the mitigation in place. Things did get a little more hairy, however, after my last episode was recorded. There were reports that a hacker was actually putting the mitigation in place on some firm's ADCs without their knowledge. This is believed to not have been an act of kindness, but rather an attempt to scrape data and then lock other would-be hackers out so they would have exclusive access to it. One of the ways Citrix is trying to bounce back from this was by announcing a partnership with FireEye Mandiant for providing an indicator of compromise scanner that aids customers in the detection of compromise related to CVE-2019-19781 or more commonly known at least on Twitter as Shitrix. In an article they also went through some of the steps they took to help while this vulnerability was out there and being exploited such as increasing their support team on their 24-7 support service to reduce wait times, how they were communicating and more. Sticking with a Citrix-related story, Daniel Welling on Twitter warned that after an upgrade of WEM to version 1912, agents started getting a sync failure. After he set permissions on the Norscale Infrastructure Service DB Sync folder for the WEM service account, the sync started to work again. I shared a blog post, I think it was with version 1906. After doing the upgrade, it was mostly pretty good and pretty seamless but I did have some settings that were lost so hopefully future upgrades are a little more seamless and painless and finally in the news threadpost.com have reported that Cisco have released patches for a vulnerability that exists in its administrative management tool for Cisco network security tools 
The flaw could allow an unauthenticated remote attacker to gain admin privileges on impacted devices. So again, this is a zero day vulnerability. The flaw exists in the web-based management interface of the Cisco Firepower Management Center, or FMC, which is a platform for managing Cisco network security solutions like firewalls or its advanced malware protection service. This is being labeled with CVE-2019-16028, and it has a severity score of 9.8 out of 10. So you want to get that patched as soon as possible. And now some scripts, tricks, and tips. Tim Mangan shared a reminder that you should set disable password update equals to one in your packaging VMs to ensure they do not drop off the domain if you're using domain joined. I always forget to set it and it always irritates me when it happens. So it seemed like a good thing to remind people of. Patrick Koble shared his first ever GitHub contribution, which he called Nerdy AD Lab. It's an Excel sheet that contains a bunch of geeky sci-fi characters and genres or franchises as users and OUs for your Active Directory. So if you've got a base Active Directory setup in your home lab, with this Excel sheet coupled with some PowerShell commands that he shows in his demo, you can automatically populate your new home labs AD with up to 1,951 characters or users. As Patrick says, this could really brighten up your demos and presentations and add a little bit of fun to it. Gerrit Debugt at dybbugt.no shared some registry settings and launch commands for Google Chrome version 77 and above that helps address issues with audio playback when launching Chrome in a Citrix session. So if audio playback from Chrome is an issue in your Citrix environment, this is a fix for you. And I'll share that with this episode, which again is episode 108. And you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And finally, have you heard of LAPS for managing your local admin account passwords? Do you use it? If so, the SMS agent software GitHub repo just shared a LAPS manager UI tool. If you'd like to be able to get passwords and force set passwords with an actual visual while doing so, this is the tool for you. It's very cool. Well, that's it for another episode. If you like the podcast, by all means, tell your work colleagues, tell your friends. And if you wouldn't mind, if you could go to your podcast platform of choice and rate the podcast or even just give a comment or if you want to give me feedback directly at RoryMon or Twitter or via email at Rory at RoryMon.com. I'd appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening.